Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So this week we'll be in week two of Unmet Expectations, week two of Unmet Expectations. And if you weren't here, or just to kind of remind you of the different um, kind of uh, versions of, or different weeks of this series, rather, last week Pastor Rocky talked about unmet uh, expectations in our circumstances. This week we're going to talk about unmet expectations in people. Uh, next week will be unmet expectations in ourselves, and then finally unmet expectations uh, that we have with God. And so he warned us last week, he said, it's going to get deep. It's going to be pretty heavy, because when we start dealing with these things, we're dealing with heart stuff. When we start dealing with unmet expectations and disappointments, and when life doesn't go the way that we want it to go, it is painful. And so when we talk about those things and we invite God into those places and we pull those places of our life and of our heart out into the light, it's a little bit painful, but that's where healing can happen. And I believe that's what's happening through this series. Last week, Pastor Rocky talked about how life is full of unmet expectations, which can lead to disappointment and anger and bitterness and resentment if we don't learn how to deal with them. And he talked about the story of Naomi and how Naomi in the Old Testament is this woman who had tons of unmet expectations because of her circumstances. Her life did not turn out for a a long time the way that she had planned it or the way that she had wanted it. However, through the story of Ruth and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, her life was redeemed. And we talked about, and he mentioned this great line when he said, your disappointment may just be the appointment that God uses to redeem your unmet expectations. And man, how powerful is that? How strong is that? And so I'm going to attempt to pick up where we left off last week as we talk about unmet expectations in people. Unmet expectations in people. We're going to dive into God's word here in just a moment. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I just want to set this up, give a little bit of context for where we'll be reading. Um, If you want to talk about somebody who constantly defied the expectations on his life, uh, you can look no further than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had a habit of doing things the opposite of the way everyone thought that he should. He arrived in this world a different way than everyone thought that he would. And so he was just defying expectations from the very beginning. And so he does things that are uncommon, culturally uncommon, culturally against the grain, against the flow of what would be normal. And this situation that we're about to read uh, in John is no different. You see, Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and he was teaching, and he was preaching, and he was healing people, and he would go from town to town to town, and so as he's traveling around, he's traveling through um, this little town in Samaria called Sychar, and the Bible says specifically a few verses before where we're going to pick up that Jesus had to travel through Sychar. Well, he may have had to travel through there because there were people there that needed him, but geographically, it was not necessary. We know through historical uh, findings that there were other roads and other paths for him to get from the destination where he was to where he was headed, but he had to go here because he had some people that he had in mind that he knew needed him and that needed a touch from him. And so he went to this place called Sychar in Samaria, which is important for us to understand that Jesus was Jewish, and back then, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And that's putting it lightly. There was racism amongst these two groups. They hated each other. In fact, they didn't speak to each other. If you walked past one another on the sidewalk, you wouldn't even like notice the other's existence. That's how bad it was. That's how deep-rooted it was. That's how much hatred there was. And so for a Jewish man to intentionally go to this place was uncommon. It was unconventional. It was countercultural. It was definitely unexpected. 
but he knows what he's doing. And so he shows up, and as he's on his way into this town, he stops at this well for a rest and possibly a drink of water. And we pick this up in John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everybody say, Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Let's skip down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us things, all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just, as, just then his disciples came back. They marveled at what he was that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that it is living, it is powerful, it is active, and God, I pray that it would illuminate the parts of our lives, of our hearts even, that we try to hide from ourselves, we try to hide from you. God, I pray that your truth would be evident today and that it would change our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, one of my favorite TV shows was a show called Knight Rider. Anybody ever seen Knight Rider? Anybody? All right. To know it, you, you know how amazing it was, right? Now, I know that there, there might be a little bit of a generational thing. If you're much younger than me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you're a little bit older than me, maybe this was a little bit after your time. But let me just explain to you, just in a snapshot, the plot of a show named Knight Rider. Knight Rider was out in the early 80s, and so I probably caught it in syndication around the mid-80s when I was probably five, six, seven years old. And it was a show that centered around a guy named Michael Knight, not night like nighttime, but K-N-I-G-H-T, right? And so Michael Knight, which is not really his real name. You see, in his previous life, he was a detective, and his name was Michael Long. But you see, he had a run-in when he was on the job, and he was, uh, he was there's, there's not a whole lot of great ways to say this. He was uh, in a gunfight and was almost on his deathbed when a billionaire justice seeker comes in and says, let's give him plastic surgery, let's save his life, and he's gonna fight crime privatized. That's basically what the plot of the show is. So he renames him Michael Knight, and Michael Knight is this like handsome crime-fighting dude played by none other than the David Hasselhoff, right? 
Now, David Hasselhoff back then was before Baywatch David Hasselhoff. It was before singing and albums David Hasselhoff. It was before he performed on the Berlin Wall as the Berlin Wall was being torn down. The 80s was crazy, y'all. That's just, just to say all those things that happened in a short period of time is crazy. But David Hasselhoff played Michael Knight, and his sidekick in fighting crime was an automated car named Kit. And this car was a, a Pontiac Firebird Trans Am that was fully automated, had personality. It could drive itself. It could go wherever it wanted to go. And it was snarky. Man, this car was sarcastic. And it was voiced by Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World, which is really going to mess some of y'all up now. And so this car, he and this car would have conversations, and he even had a watch. When he'd press a button, he could communicate with the car. They were way ahead of their time. We have all this stuff now. We have, you know, Apple watches and Teslas, but that was way before we had any of that stuff. And so they would just go around fighting crime together, getting themselves into crazy moments. And, and one of the favorites for me on this show is when they would hit the turbo boost jump button in the car. Can I get an Amen. If y'all don't know, you need to go watch some reruns. You're going to be super disappointed, but it's nostalgic for me, so just understand that. And so I remember this button. Anytime that this car came up against any obstacle that it could not go around, Michael Nightman would flip that switch for turbo boost jump, which I'm thinking, man, that's some lazy writing right there, but whatever. Turbo boost jump and hit that switch, and this car would somehow propel itself up into the air to jump over whatever obstacle was in front of it. It was amazing. I remember in this one episode, there was literally a semi-tractor trailer with the whole trailer behind it, barreling down the highway with intentions to hit Kit head on, and this car with Michael Knight inside of it, hit that button, jumped all the way over a semi-tractor trailer, completely within the scope of reality, and it was amazing. <laughs> so as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid, this dude is my hero, because you don't know that an actor isn't who he is acting on TV, right? And so David Hasselhoff did not exist. Michael Knight was a bad man, and he was my hero. And I loved it. I loved this show. I had Knight Rider everything. I had Knight Rider action figures. And I had the car that when you push a button, it would go boom, 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 boom. You know, if you know, you know. I even had the Knight Rider big wheels. You know, the three-wheel kind of like tricycle thing. And it had the, like it was, I was all in. All in on Knight Rider. And we were living in Pittsburgh at the time. It's where I'm from originally. And my dad got word that David Hasselhoff was going to be in town that he was doing an appearance at a mall near us, and he was going to be signing autographs, shaking hands, and taking pictures and all that kind of stuff. And so he, he told me, he's like, I'm going to take you. You're going to, you're going to get to meet David Hasselhoff. I said, who? He said, Michael Knight. Yes. <laughs> so we show up at this mall, and I'm ready. I mean, I am pumped. I am psyched out of my mind. Like, they had props and stuff there. Kit was not there. It was a little sad. But I still was there to meet Michael Knight, right? And so I remember all these other people, just tons of people, because this was at the height of the popularity of the show. All of these people are standing around, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting longer, and then we're waiting even longer. And finally, somebody comes out, and they apologize to everybody. And they say, I'm sorry, David Hasselhoff's flight got canceled, and he's not going to be able to make this appearance. And then they just sent us home like it was no big deal, right? I was crushed, heartbroken. How could you do this to me, David Hasselhoff? If you're watching, how dare you do this to this young kid? Like, I, I was seriously, I was crushed. I was heartbroken that I didn't get to meet my hero, my idol. Hindsight is probably, uh, maybe okay that I didn't meet that guy. Anyway, I learned a very, very valuable lesson that day. And that lesson is this. People 
will disappoint you. And not just when you're waiting at a meet and greet for your childhood hero, but people in our lives have a tendency to disappoint us. If we choose to be in relationships in our lives with other people, we can expect to be let down. I will let you down, you will let me down, it's going to happen, and people will often not live up to the expectations that we have for them. And we, say this, we see this play out in our lives all the time in every different relationship that we have, in every different social circle that we have established in our lives, we realize that we have these expectations for people that go unmet. Maybe this is happening at your job right now. Maybe you're working for someone who you're expecting them to see all of the extra effort and all of the extra work that you're putting in, and the expectation that you have is that you would be rewarded. You'd be rewarded with a raise or a promotion or an attaboy every once in a while, but you're getting nothing in return for all of your hard work, and that expectation is going completely unmet. Or maybe you're leading people at your job. And you're leading well, and you're expecting things out of them. You're expecting them to perform at a certain level, and they're not. And there's this unmet expectation that you have at your career, at your job. Maybe for you, it's a friendship right now that you've got some unmet expectations. You're expecting that person to be there for you because, after all, you've been there for them. You've sat with them through some of the most difficult times in life. But when you really need somebody, they're all of a sudden unavailable. They leave you on red. They don't answer your phone calls. They're not showing up when you really need them. There are all these expectations that you have on this person, but they're not coming through, and those expectations are unmet. Or, or, or maybe you're just like baseline expectation for friendship that they would be loyal to you, but you find out that they're talking about you behind your back instead of having your back, and you're just crushed right now. There's tons of unmet expectations in our relationships. Maybe for you, it's with your kids. Maybe you have these expectations for your kids to make these great choices, and it's not happening right now. And those unmet expectations are starting to pile up, and it's starting to create some stress and some tension and maybe some frustration and maybe even some sadness in your life. Or maybe for you, it's the opposite. Maybe it's not that you're the parent of kids that are not meeting your expectations, but you're the kid of a parent, and you've got some unmet expectations there. Maybe your expectations for your parents were very simple, very understandable, very relatable, and just that you wanted your parents to do what was best for you. But unfortunately, your parents made some decisions that were not best for you, and you're left trying to pick up the pieces now, and so you've got some unmet expectations. Maybe it goes even further than that. Maybe it goes even deeper than that. And you were expecting your mom, your dad, to protect you. But instead, you suffered abuse at their words or even maybe at their hands. So we're dealing with some unmet expectations. One of the relationships that I feel like in our lives that we deal with the most unmet expectations is by far and away marriage. Now, this is not a sermon about marriage, but it absolutely is not, not a sermon about marriage as well. You see, in our, in our marriages, I, I feel like so many times people get into marriages, they get married with someone, and their expectation levels are through the roof of everything that they're wanting from this relationship. And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have goals for your marriage, but sometimes we place so many expectations on our spouse that are completely unrealistic. There's no way that one human being could ever, ever come close to fulfilling all of these expectations. And it could be in big ways or small ways. It could be that he didn't notice when you did your hair a different way and you were expecting a compliment and you didn't get it and so there's a little bit of resentment, there's a little bit of bitterness, there's a little bit of how dare he, I went through all this trouble to look good for him and he didn't even notice whatever. 
Or maybe she's not keeping up the house like you had expected that she would when you guys first got married and it's frustrating and so there's this tension boiling under the surface and there's just all this unmet expectation in your marriage right now. Or maybe you're just expecting them to invest in your relationship a little bit. Just do something, a date night every once in a while. Just do something, invest somehow in our marriage and that expectation is unmet. And maybe it does go even further than that. Maybe your expectation in a marriage, which is completely acceptable to expect, was faithfulness, but you're let down right now because that expectation wasn't met in your relationship either. You see, the reality is that some of the expectations that are met, unmet in our relationships are realistic. I mean, to, to expect faithfulness from a spouse or protection from a parent or loyalty to a friend is not outside the bounds of what we should expect from these relationships. But the reality is this, is that people disappoint us. They let us down. We have expectations that either we're speaking or we're unspoken expectations for the people in our lives, and it is catastrophic when those expectations go unmet. And I can tell you that, at least for me and maybe for some of you in the room, our natural reaction when we have unmet expectations in our relationships is just to build up walls. Let's put up some fortresses. Let's protect ourselves to make sure that this doesn't happen again. It's kind of like we go into survival mode emotionally and relationally. When someone doesn't meet an expectation that we have for them, when they don't live up to what we think they should live up to in our lives, it hurts and so our kind of natural survival instinct says, that stings, that hurts, that's painful, that's not fun, I don't wanna do that again, and so now we're gonna guard ourselves, we're gonna put up some of these walls to make sure that that never happens anymore. We're gonna make sure that we are okay. We do this physically in our lives if we experience any physical pain, we try to avoid the situation that would have put us in there. I warned Pastor Rocky I was gonna tell this story, and he hates when I tell this story, but 20 years ago, 20 years ago, when Pastor Rocky was a youth pastor. Um, he was the youth pastor in Tampa. I was living in Clearwater. He was having a big youth event one night, and I just happened to be around the building. And uh, he, was, uh, he had some, some students doing some different things, and he was upstairs in their youth room at the time. And he was working on a little project. He was redesigning and redecorating some things and moving some staging around. And so he asked me if I would help him move a, a portion of stage. It was a drum stage. It was probably eight foot by eight foot. It was framed out of wood, and I think it had carpet on it. But it had this, this metal siding on it just to kind of give it this really cool industrial look that went with the rest of the room. And it was kind of like this, you know, this, this really, really, you know, like sheet metal, like, um, uh, what am I thinking of? Corrugated metal. And, and so it was very, very sharp on the ends. And so he's like, hey, everybody be careful. You know, this is sharp, but we'll get enough guys. So there were four of us carrying this eight by eight, you know, staging. And we only had to move probably 10 feet to a different location. And when we all put it down, I didn't realize that, that like there was this hive mind with him and the other two guys that we were carrying it with, uh, that they were his youth leaders. They all knew each other really well. And apparently they had their own timing on when they dropped things. I was not in on the story. I was not in on the timing. And so as we go to put it down, I was just a split second late, which wouldn't have been a big deal. Maybe it would have pinched a, a, you know, a fingernail. However, the metal came down just about a half an inch further than the wood came down on the framing. And so there was this exposed, really sharp metal thing. I'm gonna spare you all of the details because if you're kind of like, mm, about blood and stuff, it would mess you up. But I cut my finger very badly. Very, very badly. I mean, it was to the point where I had to go to the emergency room and get like 11 stitches. 11 stitches. How dare you do that to me? And 
And I'd never, ever let him, down, let, let him live this down, ever. You can ask him. I bring it up. All, anytime we carry anything together, I'm like, hey, man, don't cut my finger. Like, and, I, and then I give that opportunity for me to tell the story all over again. It's going to live forever. He's never going to live it down. He feels terrible about it. He sat next to me in the emergency room as they were suturing my hand up, right? But it taught me some things. It taught me now that if you and I were going to move something heavy and possibly sharp, that I would over-communicate with you about how we're going to drop that thing in a couple minutes. You think I'm kidding, but some of you have, have realized this, and now it's going to click why I do this. So we'll pick it up and be like, okay, we're going to put this down here. We're going to go backwards. I'm going to go backwards here. You're going to go forward, and then we're going to turn it when we get to it, and then we're going to flip it, and then we're going to do this. And so I'm very detailed in all of this. And then when we get to the part where we actually have to put it on the ground, I'm like, okay, we're going to go on three. Listen to me. Not one, two, three, go. That doesn't count. On three. Not three, two, one. One, two, three. We're letting it go, right? And so, and then I even go a step further and I let go before three. I'm just saying I don't play fair anymore, y'all. It's dirty, but I got to survive. All because I cut my finger one time. All because I experienced some pain and that pain is kind of seared into a part of my brain that I want to avoid from now on. I don't want to deal with that pain anymore. I don't want to feel that. I know it hurt, and so I don't want to be hurt like that anymore. And so my brain kicks in, and survival instincts take over. And in our relationships, when we have unmet expectations from other people, and we are hurt, we are damaged, we are bruised, we are cut emotionally, relationally, then what we do is we try to put up some boundaries. We try to put up some walls around us to make sure that that doesn't happen to us ever, ever again. And we convince ourselves that's the only way that we could possibly stay safe. That person hurt me, and so I'm just gonna put up all these walls. That's the only way that I can stay protected. But the problem is when we put up walls, it doesn't protect us, it starves us. When we put up walls, it starves us from community. It starves us from our connection with other people the way that we've been designed to connect and be in relationship with other people. And so all that that does when we put up walls, it doesn't protect us. It just leaves us angry and lonely and bitter. Now, should we use wisdom when it comes to people that abuse our kindness or people that take advantage of us? Absolutely, we need to use wisdom there. Do we need to forgive people when they hurt us? Absolutely, we need to forgive people when they hurt us. Do we need to let them back into our inner circle? No. We can apply wisdom with that, but we can't afford to put up walls everywhere because what it ends up doing is keeping everyone out. And in our text today, I think it's pretty safe to say that this woman that was a Samaritan, she had quite a few unmet expectations in relationships. Now, I don't want to... I don't, I don't pretend like we know a whole lot more about her than we do. This is really the only glimpse that we get of this woman. This, this woman that meets Jesus at this well this day, that's really all that we know about her. But based on some of the conversation that she has and based on the circumstances, I think we can start to fill in some of the pieces. I mean, she has had five previous marriages. We don't know all the details but we know that she's had five previous marriages, and so the person she's living with right now is not her husband. So a little bit of insight into that could be that she's had five previous failed relationships. She doesn't even want to do the marriage thing anymore because she's got these walls built up. She's showing up in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day, at the well, which means that nobody else should have been out there, would have been out there. All of the other women from that town would have come out earlier in the morning when it was cooler to go ahead and fill up their water and go back into town. And so she is intentionally avoiding other people probably because 
because of her past relationship decisions, she's probably an outcast among all these other women. She's probably not getting phone calls. She's probably not getting texted to go hang out. Women probably, if they would all show up at the same time, would probably be snickering and probably be talking about her, giving her side eyes, the whole thing. So, I mean, we can imagine and we can kind of build this little narrative that she's probably pretty guarded in her relationships because of all of these unmet expectations. And she's been hurt, most likely by men. She's been hurt in friendships. She's been hurt, I'm sure, because she's been marginalized because of even her ethnicity and being a Samaritan. But when she meets Jesus, those walls start to come down. When she meets Jesus, those walls start to crack. They're not as strong as she thought those walls were because the love of Jesus Christ, this pure, selfless, perfect love is the only thing that can take down those walls that we try to build up in our lives. And it's when we allow Jesus into those places of pain in our hearts that he begins to heal those hurts of the past. You see, Jesus has the power through his sacrifice and through his love to turn those scars into stories of redemption in our hearts and in our lives. And this woman sees it for herself. Face to face with Jesus, all of, this guard, all of these guards and all these walls that she's put up in her life to keep people out, Jesus has one conversation with her and those walls start falling down In our lives, we try really hard to build up walls, but if we will just let Jesus in, I promise you those walls can come down. Those walls can come down and those hurts can be healed. That pain, those scars can be redeemed if we'll let him in. But if we don't take those unmet expectations to Jesus, then what we usually do is we take them into other relationships. You see, if we don't let Jesus in to allow those walls to come down because of hurt that we've experienced in our lives, then what we'll do is we'll take that hurt and that pain and all of those expectations that weren't met in this relationship, and we're just going to pick all that up, and then we're going to put it on that next relationship. That's what this woman seemingly was doing. She didn't find what she needed in that first marriage, and so she went to the next one and to the next one and to the next one, and don't we do the same thing? We have these unmet expectations in our job, and so what do we do? We just change jobs and then put all those expectations on this job and this employer and this employees, and we take all the expectations that didn't come to fruition in this friendship, and we just pick them up and we put them all in this friendship, and then we put all of those expectations and say, well, it's not my fault. It's nothing that I did. It's them this person's gonna make me feel better about it. This person's gonna finally do everything that I need them to do. This person's finally gonna fulfill all the needs that I have in my life. Well, this spouse didn't do it over here, and so I'm gonna take all those expectations and I'm gonna place them on this new spouse or this new person or whatever it might be. And maybe it's from our past and we're saying, these are some unmet expectations from my childhood because of my parents. I'm gonna take these and I'm gonna put them on somebody else. I'm gonna put them on my spouse. Because they didn't get met back there, I need them to be met up here. And so if we're not careful and if we don't let Jesus in to deal with the walls that we have built up and that we've put around our hearts, then what we'll do is we'll just transfer those expectations to the next relationship, to the next relationship, to the next relationship. And we're gonna look to find fulfillment in earthly relationships. But the problem with this is that when we look for complete fulfillment in any earthly relationship, we are absolutely setting ourselves up for disappointment. In fact, I would go so far as to say that in a lot of our relationships where we have unmet expectations, it's because we have unrealistic expectations. In, in relationships where we have unmet expectations, 
where somebody hasn't come through for us, someone hasn't done something for us, in most of those cases, I would say it's because our expectations on that person are unrealistic. And I don't mean unrealistic like they should have been a good person and they were a bad person. I mean unrealistic to where we're looking for that person to fulfill something in us that no human being could ever possibly fulfill in us because an imperfect person can never meet all of our needs, but a perfect savior can. An imperfect person, that spouse, that friend, that parent, that child, that coworker can never, ever, ever fulfill the places in your life and in your heart where you're looking for that fulfillment because the expectation is unrealistic, but when we put those expectations on Jesus Christ, he is perfect, his love is perfect, and that is where we can find those expectations fulfilled in our lives. You see, we have been created in a way to desire this relationship that doesn't exist within humans. Now, we've been created to desire a relationship with each other. We've been created in a way that we desire and crave and need community with one another. We need that. We need to have these relationships here. But we have also been created in a way to desire a relationship that could never happen this way, that can only happen this way. That can only happen through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That desire is in every single one of us. If we're really honest with ourselves today, we can feel it. We know when we're closer to it and when we're further away from it. We know that there's something that's not connected, something that's just not right. And maybe that's because we're looking this way for that fulfillment of all those expectations when the reality is we need to look this way. We need to look to the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to look to Jesus. So we see this woman's life in this little snapshot. She just shows up minding her own business to try to get some water for that day. And she had no idea how symbolic that daily trip to the well really was for her life. You see, she had no idea that every day when she would get that big pot and take it down to the well by herself, every step lonelier than the step before because she knows nobody's going to be there to talk to. She knows nobody's going to be there to ask her how her day is going. She knows that no friends are waiting on her when she shows up. And she knows that every step is further away from the, whatever her current relationship is with whatever guy she's got in her life at that moment. And so every step is just lonelier and lonelier and angrier and angrier and bitter, more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. You see, this is so symbolic of the way that she was treating these expectations in her life. She was looking for people to fulfill something that only Jesus could, and she didn't even know it until she came face to face with the Savior. She didn't even know it until she shows up at the well that day minding her own business and Jesus is there and Jesus offers her living water. You see, this is a woman who was thirsty for more than just water from a well. This is a woman who every day showed up thirsty for something to be fulfilled inside of her heart that was not from all of those other previous marriages and all of those friendships that didn't exist and all of these hurts and all of this pain that she'd built walls around and placed expectations on the next one and the next one and the next one. You see, she was thirsty for something inside of her soul that she couldn't find anywhere else. But as soon as Jesus shows up, the walls start coming down and he offers her this opportunity to be finally, finally fulfilled. 
Finally, everything that she was looking for happens. Finally, every step that she took every single day to that well would be not a step of fear, not a step of loneliness, not a step of, of, of just putting up walls and barriers in her life, but it would be a step into her destiny. You see, because what she found and what Jesus offers is this living water. Now, sure, she'd still have to physically go to the well every single day, but when she's going to the well inside, she is fulfilled. Inside, there is something that has been quenched inside of her that she's been longing for for all of these years. And it's not because she found it in a relationship. It's not because she found it in a man or a friend or any of that. It's because she found that in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one that can offer that to you and to me and to that Samaritan woman at that well a couple thousand years ago. She had this expectation that continued to be unmet by every human she'd ever come in contact with. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is able to meet the expectations that she had in her life and offer her that fulfillment that only he can bring. So where in our lives are we looking for that fulfillment? Where in our lives are we looking for that living water but not finding it because we're trying to put expectations on human relationships? Is it at your job? Is it with your kids? Is it with your own parents? Is it with your spouse? Is it with your friends? Where are we putting these expectations that are unrealistic because they can never live up to the expectations that we can have in Jesus Christ? Because when we choose to place our trust and our expectations in a Savior who loves us, then he's gonna heal those hurts and he's gonna fulfill our needs. See, the Bible says in Philippians 4, 19, it says, and my God will meet all your needs needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we like to quote this scripture when it comes to money, right? Say, oh, he's gonna provide for me, he's gonna provide all those riches in Christ Jesus. The reality is it's way more than just money. The reality is, is that Jesus Christ can provide something for us that no other human could possibly ever provide for us. He can take care of the needs that we have that we don't even know that we have. He can fulfill things deep inside of our soul that we didn't even know we were searching for. But it's only through Jesus Christ that we find that. It's only when we look to our Savior for acceptance and fulfillment that we find it every single time. And you know what the great byproduct of this is? When we start putting all of our expectations in Jesus Christ instead of placing all these expectations on the people around us, those relationships with the people around us, they start getting better. Because we're not, we're not asking them to do things they can't possibly do. We're not getting upset with them when they're not being God because we know they're not God. And so our relationships start to flourish. Our relationships start to get better. And in fact, we start to invite relationships in more and more godly relationships into our lives because we know that's not where our fulfillment comes from. Yeah, absolutely, we're gonna create connection and community. And absolutely, we're gonna do life together. But listen, my real life, the life source, living water, that doesn't come from any human. It comes from Jesus Christ himself. So what relationship, what relationship in your life are you trying to place all these expectations on and you're getting constantly disappointed when they're unmet? What walls have you built up around your life and around your heart that have made it so difficult that you've just closed yourself off from all these people and all these relationships because you're scared that it's going to happen again? Because I can promise you when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us and he will never let us down. He never, ever disappoints. The expectations that we put in him 
are never unbent. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.